And we are back. This is Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. And I'm very happy to welcome Rachel Chu back to the show. Rachel, it hasn't been so long, but it's good to catch up with you once again. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. You have come prepared to talk about a subject that I think is kind of near and dear to my heart. And uh, that's that's about media, particularly local media. Now, I've, I've, I've been in the game here for a while, but uh, I'd like to talk about your article that published on The Hill uh, about how a media safe harbor bill won't actually help local news. First and foremost, tell me about this safe harbor bill, uh, what it is and what it hopes to accomplish. Of course. Thanks so much, Brian. So it's called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, also known as the JCPA. And it was introduced earlier this year, back in March. So if passed, the bill would create a four-year antitrust exemption for news media, which would enable them to collectively negotiate with social media companies about how content is distributed. So the bill's sponsors say this will help struggling local news, which in and of itself is a really good cause. I think as a whole, Americans don't want news deserts. They want to see community newsrooms thrive. So the problem here isn't the purpose. It's the method, which is antitrust. Antitrust has also been dropped on big tech as a means to break them up, except there the argument is reversed that antitrust is not strong enough. And here it's too strong. And that's exactly the problem. It's a method that lets Congress reach their hand into the free market and manipulate it. And that's very powerful. And right now it's being used for petty politics. So it all boils down to that this bill doesn't promote competition. It doesn't preserve local news, but it does set a bad precedent that antitrust is a quick and easy political tool. Yeah, I agree with your analysis. That's 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 like taking a sledgehammer to to get that mosquito that's been bothering you. Exactly. What's what is happening with local media? I'm I'm just curious. It's been 30 plus years since I started working. And of course, I started at a local level. And it seems like there's been a lot of consolidation in media over the years. Um, A lot of uh, outlets, even local outlets are owned nonetheless by big national chains. Is has there been a shift in terms of ownership and control from, you know, locally owned media to more uh, big corporate media? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So what, we see, what we've seen over the past few decades is that local newsrooms have either shut down or they're being consolidated. And something that I think is worth to note is that the JCPA bears strong resemblance to the Newspaper Preservation Act of 1970. So back then, televisions were displacing newspapers as the primary source of news for folks. And back then, it was said that this bill was needed to save local newsrooms. And what they did was they created an antitrust exemption for news media, which should sound very much like the JCPA. Um, But what they did there was they allowed competing co-located newspapers to combine business operations. So that goes towards that consolidation that you've seen. Um, And at the time, President Nixon, he knew that it wasn't about that. Um, He opposed it. He knew that this was something just about rent seeking. And he only signed it after he was threatened by big media companies. So something that we've seen since that bill passed is that a lot of newsrooms have closed down, that it did nothing to really help the local news that it said that it was going to. So 
the core of that bill, the antitrust exemption, that gives us the benefit of hindsight, right? It shows us that policies that employ antitrust, that pick winners and losers, that promote rent seeking, that they're not good policy. No, that makes sense. And I, I've watched, I've actually had some pretty strong awarenesses as the local newspapers have, have declined. I mean, we've We've watched them become, you know, thinner and thinner and smaller. And you can't, you know, not to not to pick on the newspaper, but you can't even line a decent birdcage, you know, with, with what most of the local <laughs> papers look like these days. So tell me, with, with other shifts that are taking place, um, for instance, terrestrial radio is, is kind of experiencing what newspapers have experienced, thanks to television. Podcasting, though, and digital media is doing the same thing to terrestrial radio. What do you see happening in the future? Are there going to be more uh, calls for government to step in and protect these industries? Or are they going to be allowed to, um, you know, go the way of the horse and buggy? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I'm very concerned about with this bill is that if it's passed, we may not see a good faith um, effort to help local newsrooms for quite a while. And I think that this isn't it. And there needs to be another shot at it. Um, personally, I think that the newspaper and news media industry needs to innovate because the enemy 50 years ago was TV. Now it's social media companies. So I'm not sure about the best way to go about this. It's, it is a really complex issue, but I do know that that innovation needs to occur. But that's more of a business discussion, more than a policy question. So if anything, I think lawmakers should be thinking about how to support that innovation and not suppress competitors. Yeah, I look. I I want to see. Uh, I want to see innovations come because things like uh, well, the fact that you and I are interviewing today. This is this is part of the new media. This is part of the new frontier, if you will. I think it's very exciting and has tremendous possibilities. The last thing in the world that I want to see, though, is government getting deeper and deeper involved in in how this develops. And even if they're offering to help, I think that uh, that might. It, it probably brings some baggage with it that, that we're not going to like. Looking at the history as you spell it out in your article. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think an exemption like this, like what happens in 1970, is just going to benefit the bigger news corporations, not so much the local newsrooms, which is something that I think should be considered as well, considered that it's being packaged, packaged and sold as something that's going to help local media. What about social media? I, it seems like we have seen some of the big tech, uh, you know, icons, Jack Dorsey and uh, Mark Zuckerberg sitting before congressional committees having to testify. I know they're under a great deal of pressure to, uh, you know, to regulate content or to to sort out how their content is regulated. You know, I, I assume that comes with the threat of or else, you know, you know, Congress will step in with public policy. Is is there a I, whose side should I be on, I guess, is what I'm asking. Should I feel sorry for these big tech giants? I don't think that we should feel sorry for them, but we should really look deeply when Congress is trying to change what a private business does. So I acknowledge that with social media companies, they have billions and billions of content every day that they have to sort through. And they're going to make choices that not everyone's going to like, that I'm not going to like, or you may not like as well. But I think the importance is that they have the opportunity to try to work in their own company, to look and see how are our users being affected by misinformation and the like, and what can we do about that? And I think that needs to take place first before Congress steps in and says, hey, we think we know how to do it better. 
What is the justification for, for getting government involved like that? I, I'm sure there are people who would find job security in it, but when, when, when Congress is saying, you know, we may have to step in here, is there reasoning that we're the only ones big enough and powerful enough to, to make effective change? Uh, honestly, I think it's just political expediency, that it's something it's, that sounds really good um, for re-election campaigns to say that they took on big tech, that they did all this for their communities, um, when in reality what we're seeing is that it's really not like that at all. Interesting. Now, you pointed out in your article, you know, Richard Nixon was reluctant to sign the act, uh, the meet, the Newspaper Preservation Act, uh, back in 1970, but uh, once he did sign it, Seems like uh, big media, particularly Hearst newspapers, well, they were they were fans. I think they endorsed him for for re-election as, as a result. That kind of seems convenient, and I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> exactly. Um, we saw back then that it was the big companies like Hearst who benefited from that law. I think that's what we're going to see here too, and that's why a lot of news companies have been really pushing hard to see this get passed because it increases their profits. Fascinating. Well, I, I'm sure the private market has uh, has the ability to figure these things out, given the chance. But uh, I also understand that there are a lot of people within government, uh, politicians who want to they, they want to assert themselves. They want to show and remind us why we need them. Where would you point people besides your excellent article to to become better informed on this issue? Yes. So I would encourage your audience, whenever they see the word antitrust appear in a law or bill that's proposed, that's something that they should look at and read it and see what does this actually do? Does this help the cause that it is supposed to help? Or is it something that's just going to be nice for a re-election campaign? Nice. Now, we've got about 30 seconds here. Um, Bring it home for us, Rachel, and tell us why should this matter to the average media consumer? What's, What's in it for us to be informed and on top of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so typically when we see these antitrust proposals, when they increase profits for big companies, that usually means that consumers lose out. And that's why antitrust forbids it. Um, So because this law is trying to create that safe harbor, that exemption, it's something that we should look deeply at because it will ultimately affect consumers as well. All right, Rachel Chu is a Young Voices contributor. You'll find her work in USA Today, The Hill, The American Conservative, Real Clear Policy, and elsewhere. Rachel, great to catch up with you once again. Thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. 